Please rise for the reading of God's word from the second psalm. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. And thus far, the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. May be seated. Dr. Gary North wrote, The Bible tells us about a great conspiracy against God. It is a conspiracy which affects every area of life, including politics. David describes it in Psalm 2. In David's day, there was a conspiracy among the kings of the earth against God, and it was in existence long before David's day. That same conspiracy is still raging, even though there are no more kings of any importance left on the earth. It is an age-old struggle. For as long as there is history and sin, members of this conspiracy will be enraged at righteousness. The conspirators breathe together. They conspire. They breathe together against God and his law and also against all those who are faithful to God. Though as I take up this topic of conspiracy, I must admit that I'm inclined first to agree with Charles Krauthammer, who once said, whenever you're faced with an explanation of what's going on in Washington, the choice between incompetence and conspiracy, I always go with incompetence. Nevertheless, Conspiracy theories abound. On the political left and on the political right, we have theories about conspiracies throughout history. We have the Illuminati and the Trilateral Commission. We had McCarthyism, and we had, of course, Hillary Clinton's vast right-wing conspiracy. And in fact, almost no major public event occurs without some immediately postulation about conspiracy, and the Internet, of course, has helped magnify that enormously. But before we laugh at that, and sometimes depending on who's, who's promoting the theory, it gets easily mocked and laughed at, we want to look and see as Christians what does the Bible say about conspiracy. The Bible tells us of various conspiracies. Joseph's brothers, we read in Genesis thirty-seven eighteen. now when they saw him afar off, Even before they came near him, they conspired against him to kill him. 1 Samuel 22, 13, Saul believed that there was a conspiracy against him. 
Then Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? There were conspirators against David himself. 2 Samuel 15:31. Then someone told David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. Nehemiah 4, 7-8. Now it happened when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. And one more, Acts 23, 12-13, there was a conspiracy to do away with Paul. And when it was, was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink until they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed the conspiracy. No doubt some of these and other conspiracy theories are true or contain some elements of truth. Once we buy into a conspiracy theory, we need to recognize that there is a temptation for everything to become evidence of the conspiracy, even the lack of evidence. However, I do agree that men have and do continue to conspire in many and various ways because it all traces back to the fall in the garden. Again, Gary North writes, What is at the heart of conspiracy's successful appeal, both to its members and to its eventual victims? It's the same idea that the servant, the serpent presented to Eve. Ye shall be as gods. Men live by ideas, and no idea in man's history has produced more evil than this one. Man the God. Man the predestinator. Man the central planner. Man the director of the evolutionary process. Man the maker and shaker of things on earth and in heaven. Ye shall be as gods. But as we shall see, the conspiracies of men, real or imagined, are vain. I want you to remember this core truth. Real or imagined, their conspiracies are empty. Proverbs 16:9: a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Jeremiah 10:23, O Lord, I know the way of a man is not in himself. It is not in a man who walks to direct his own steps. Deuteronomy 32:35, God says, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things uh, to come and the things to come hasten upon them. Again, R.J. Rushdoony says the view of history as conspiracy, however absurd to the liberal with his impersonal theology and philosophy, excuse me, is a basic aspect of the perspective. Conspiracy is a basic aspect of Orthodox Christianity. Psalm 2 presents it 
The ungodly nations and the people's rage, they conspire together and imagine a vain thing, which is what? The triumph of their conspiracy. Precisely because it is a vain thing, the orthodox Christian philosophy of history cannot make the conspiracy however central to the stage of history, the main fact of history. Believing as he must, Christians, in the sovereignty and predestinating power of God, the meaning of history is far is for him transcendental. The main fact is that the eternal decree and certainty of the Son is victory. Who shall make the nations his inheritance and possessions the ends of the earth in history and beyond? Now, therefore, act wisely. Be warned, O rulers of the earth, lest you perish in the way. This assurance of victory is the hallmark of our faith. It is the church's responsibility to protect and proclaim God's word to all men in all times and in all places without compromise. God has given this authority to the church alone, and so, and so such proclamation of his word must be made authoritatively to all men. And so I want to speak today about a vast conspiracy. It's a conspiracy of men, great and small, a conspiracy that is threaded throughout history, a conspiracy vast in its depth and breadth, and most importantly, a conspiracy that is doomed to failure. Psalm 2 is one of the clearest teachings about the responsibility of political leaders to God's lawful and righteous instructions. All of them. It deals with the nations, the kings and the rulers of the earth, and with all the people of the earth. God the Creator has the right and the authority to rule over all men in all times and in all places, including kings and rulers of nations. God the Creator has the right and authority. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All of it. 1 Timothy 6.15, speaking of Jesus, He who is the blessed and the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But like the days of David, consider the political vanity of our own age. Why do the heathen or the nations rage? Literally, why are they an agitated multitude? Why are they so worked up in their hatred of Jehovah and his anointed? Because the heart of ethical rebellion is against a holy God, and that calls for enthusiastic opposition. The law, God's law is no mere inconvenience. It stands between them and their desire to be their own God. It is vain. That is, it is useless for the nations to rage against God. Psalm 9, 15 and 16. The nations have sunk down in the pit which they made 
In the net which they hid, their own foot is caught. The Lord is known by the judgment he executes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. Psalm 46, 6. The nations raged. The kingdoms were moved. He, that is Jehovah, uttered his voice. The earth melted. Why do the people imagine such a vain thing? Why do they think they can do this? Vain things are those things that are antithetical to God's law. Psalm 119, 113, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. Romans 1, 19-22, Because that which may be known about God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. He's speaking of all men in all times and all places. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. This is our behind-the-scenes look at what's really going on in the world. Psalm 33, 8-12, Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. For He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. The conspiracies of the nations to nothing. He makes the plans of the peoples of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. Do you believe that? The kings and the rulers take counsel together against Jehovah and against his anointed. Herein is the vast conspiracy. It is not an opposition to theism in general that takes these that these leaders conspire against. It is Yahweh and his Christ. It is the God of Scripture. It is the Christian faith that is despised. And this ethical rebellion is not limited to the people. It extends to the political leaders of the people because it is a conspiracy of rebellious hearts. Remember, just come back to the fundamental thing. We are made in the image of God. His law is impressed upon our hearts. We can't get away from it. It's always haunting us. And we either bow before him and receive his grace and his salvation, and his commandments are no longer burdensome, or else we hate them. We have to get rid of them. I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I don't want him telling me otherwise. I don't want accountability. I want to be as God. And so the problem with political counsel and others is that it's too often, it so often refuses to seek the counsel of the Lord. Proverbs 12:15, the way of the fool is right in his own eyes. Deuteronomy 17:18 through 20, also it shall be when he sits on the throne of his kingdom 
that the king shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest and the Levites, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God and be careful to observe all the words in this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. When God judges the nations, and he is and has and will, what standard do you think he's going to use? You think he has two different standards? It's the one standard. All men, all times, all places. They say we want to break the bands and cast away the cords. This is too restrictive, God. What is it about Yahweh and his anointed, that is Jesus, that binds the kings and rulers of the earth? Their purpose for taking counsel together is to get rid of their obligation to obey God and his commandments. Notice that the psalm simply assumes this obligation to be upon the kings and the rulers without offering any argument or explanation. It is the law of God that they despise, and they will not have anyone tell them what to do. Because it is the purpose of the law to set forth the standard of righteousness and to restrain evil, and such moral restraint is too much. We are told that it is a matter of privacy if a leader, for example, wants to be immoral. Do you believe that? We must declare with clarity it is not a matter of privacy. It is a matter of righteousness because Proverbs 16:12 says it is an abomination to kings to commit wickedness for the throne is established by righteousness. And then the text tells us God's response to this conspiracy. It's a belly laugh. He who sits in the heavens will laugh. He will hold them in derision. Are you kidding me? Really? You're going to do what? You therefore, O Lord, this is Psalm 59, 5-8. You therefore, O Lord, God of hosts, the God of Israel, awake to punish all the nations. Do not be merciful to any wicked transgressors. At evening they return, they growl like a dog and go all around the city. Indeed, they belch with their mouth. Swords are in their lips, for they say, who hears? There's no God. But you, O Lord, shall laugh at them. You shall have all the nations in derision. says he would speak in his wrath, vexing them in his sore displeasure. Psalm 79, 6, pour out your wrath on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. The text tells us his king is set on the hill, that is Christ. <coughs> the son of God. This is very, Psalm 2 is, is, is as distinctively Christian as it can get. This is the only begotten Son of God being talked about in Psalm 2. Ask, God says to his Son, ask me and I'll give you the nations of the earth. Pretty big promise. 
Psalm 47, 7 through 8. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with understanding. God reigns over all the nations. God sits on his holy throne. This is not some private Jesus. King of kings, Lord of lords, ruler of all the earth and all the nations. And then he says, I'll break them. These bonds they're trying to tie me up with, I'll break their bonds. I'll break them with a rod of iron. Throughout Scripture, the rod represents an instrument for guidance and punishment, connoting power and authority. For example, in the book of Revelation, John uses this image when he says in Revelation 19, 15, and 16, Now out of his mouth, speaking of Jesus, goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He says he will dash them to pieces, You ever been in one of these places that sell pottery and they've got piles and piles of pottery outside to sell? Imagine someone running through with a rod of iron just smashing the pots. That's the picture here. Resistance and rebellion in a nation lead to certain divine judgment. How do we know? Because history is full of it. God's promised judgments are as real as his promised blessings. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings, be instructed, you judges of the earth. Where else can wisdom and instruction be found except in the word of God? Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of Yahweh is to hate evil. Psalm 102.15, the nations shall fear the name of Yahweh. Not some vague man upstairs, but Yahweh and all the kings of the earth, your glory. They shall fear you. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. I haven't seen a precious moments version of this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundation of the earth? Isaiah says, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing, He makes the judges of the earth useless. Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, when he will also blow on them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. This is no little bitty Jesus. 
This is the creator, the holy God, creator of the universe. In 1 Corinthians 1, 19-20, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? And it says in our text, And when his wrath is kindled but a little, the wrath of God is kindled when those who have been ordained to civil rule do not serve him with fear, but rather refuse to enforce his righteous law as the only proper standard of morality and order. Thus, sometimes people, oh, well, the Bible is just for Israel, or it's just for the church, or it's just for Christians. The God, this is the same God that judged Babel and Sodom and Gomorrah and Egypt and the Canaanites and Babylon and Nineveh and Jerusalem and Rome and a host of other nations. He won't stop now. He'll continue to bring covenant sanctions against those who will reject his rule and his commandments. I recently heard someone excuse the conduct of our president saying that Presidents have been doing this kind of thing for years. Friends, God has also been judging presidents for years. And our text says, blessed, happy are all those who put their trust in him. You see, there's a way of escape. That's why the gospel is so critical. We have to wake up as a church. We have to... Tell the good news. There is hope. We don't have to continue down this path. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Then the earth shall yield her increase. God, our own God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. Psalm 67. And so do we as God's people not realize that the only way this nation or any nation will know God's blessing is for us and for our leaders to stop conspiring to break the bonds of God's commandments and bow the knee to them instead. So I want to draw some conclusions here. (coughs) Kingdom before party. Whenever our political party requires us to support personally immoral men who won't control their passions, then let us say as Christians, no. We give up all party loyalty. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and that allegiance transcends all others. Unless... The party presents us, this is uh, from Robert L. Dabney, uh, unless the party presents us a man who not only promotes godly public policy and who is personally moral in his character, we will not support him. Only then can we reasonably expect to see political corruption and rebellion crushed. Would you like to help save our country? then let's carry our citizenship in the kingdom of God everywhere we go. 
let's insist that it dominate every public act. We must kiss the sun, and we must obey the law of God rather than the political expediency of the political parties. Exodus 18.21, Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers. If we fail to do this, surely God will avenge himself for our violated allegiance to him. Again, Dabney asks this question, why must we support directly and indirectly only honest and moral men in places of civil leadership? Because when we place bad men in places of influence and authority, we give them a hundred times more power to corrupt our children and our neighbor's children by their sinful conduct. By the very nature of their public positions, they attract more attention and invite more imitation than if they had just remained in obscurity. And when we give them our money, influence, and civil power to bad men, we become co-conspirators. He becomes, that guy becomes our agent. And just as God will cause such ungodly rulers to perish in the way, I don't believe he will, he will forget those who supported such rulers. So sometimes as Christians, I think we're too nice. I'm all for niceness in this place. But sometimes we're too nice, so we shake our heads, we look the other way, or let things take their course when there is gross corruption and politi- in our political leaders. We'll even let our money go indirectly to support those agents who have had as their goals to be rid of all the restraints of God's law. These are politicians who misrepresent our goals. So if we are not moved from our niceness by the general good of public interest, then let us consider this. Where are we headed? Isn't it clear? Hosea 8.7, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. Galatians 6.7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. It won't be the rulers alone. It'll be us. It'll be our children. It'll be our children's children. And we see that happening before our very eyes. These misleaders of the people, while we blink at their transgressions, we may be indirectly preparing the very weapon that will destroy our children. For God's sake and for our own sake, and for our children's sake. Let us determine to kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. No more money, labor, influence, or votes go to support those who will do anything to oppose the kingdom of God. I'll close where I started with another quote from Gary North. Psalm 2, he said, should be the ultimate hope of man. This is the foundation upon which societies must build. If you are not building in terms of this foundation, 
then a mountain of fully documented books on the conspiracy will do you precious little good. Conspiracy books offer us a shovel with which to bury the plans of evil men. They are not to be used to dig our own graves. Amen. Father, we confess that we are easily shaken by the roaring lion who seeks to devour us. Enable us to resist him and to be steadfast in the faith. There are both real and imagined conspiracies all around us who seek to break your bonds, and yet both we and the conspirators themselves have forgotten that there is an even greater conspiracy against them and that you laugh at their feeble plans. You are the Lord of history, and you shall prevail. As Isaiah spoke to those who took counsel together against your people, saying, But it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. And now, O Lord, the God of all grace, who called us to your eternal glory by Christ Jesus, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle us. To you be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. I have a bit of an addendum here to the sermon as we come to the table. Sixty percent of Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament, either directly or indirectly, but actually the whole message of Psalm 2 is found in the New Testament. The first section of Psalm 2, verses 1 through 3, describes the opposition of world rulers against Christ, and in Acts 4, verses 25 through 28, this finds its greatest fulfillment in Christ as he was betrayed and brought before the judgment of Pilate who by the mouth of your servant David has said, and now Luke in Acts is quoting from Psalm 2, Why did the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Still continuing in Acts, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined beforehand for them to do. So on the one hand, it looks like this conspiracy against Jesus, and what the text is telling us is actually God was the one taking what they were planning and spinning it around. This fulfillment continues in the time of the book of Revelation, 1919. And I saw the beasts, the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against Jesus who sat on the horse and against his army. Christ was the one sitting on the horse, and the Antichrist, the kings, and all the armies were making war against him. In the second section of Psalm 2, God declared that he had anointed Christ as the king on Zion, the hill of his holiness. Acts 2.36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. This is God's declaration. Revelation 19:16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. God destroyed the Roman Empire and many other worldly powers trying to oppose Christ. The third section of Psalm 2 is Christ's declaration. We find in Acts 13.33, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, 
in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. This day is the day of resurrection. The same verse is quoted in Hebrews 1.5. In Psalm 2, we're told that God the Father will give Christ all the nations for his inheritance. That's fulfilled in Revelation 11.15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Psalm 2.9 concerning Christ's rule is fulfilled in Revelation 2, 26 and 27. And he who overcomes and keeps my word till the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And he quotes from Psalm 2. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like a potter's vessel, as I also have received from my father. It continues, Revelation 19.15. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Revelation 6, 15-17, is the fulfillment of the last portion of Psalm 2, the gospel preaching, admonishing people to return to Christ, to put their trust in Christ, and to kiss Christ, for his wrath will be kindled. And the kings of the earth, this is Revelation 6, 15 through 17, and the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who will be able to stand? And I'll close again, this portion again, with another quote from Gary North. The biblical view of conspiracy neither overestimates the power of conspiracies nor underestimates it. There is one conspiracy, Satan's, and ultimately it must fail. Satan's supernatural conspiracy is the the conspiracy. All other visible conspiracies are merely outworkings of this supernatural conspiracy. And here's the good news. The cross of Calvary is the ultimate example, satanically, uh, the ultimate example, satanically successful on the surface, that is the crucifixion, But it led within three days to the definitive defeat in principle of Satan and all of his hosts. Christ's resurrection definitely smashed in principle the satanic conspiracy. History since Calvary is simply the outworking of that definitive victory. Amen. From Psalm 33, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he has chosen as his own inheritance. The Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men. From the place of his dwelling, he looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashions their hearts individually. He considers all their works. No king is saved by the multitude of an army. A mighty man is not delivered by great strength. A horse is vain, a vain hope for safety. Neither shall it deliver any by its great strength. 
Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. Let your mercy, O Lord, be upon us just as we hope in you. Bless now our feasting and our resting. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.